We learned yesterday evening that Anita, who was leading the service, has COVID. So here I am, <laughs> leading it through. And David, who was playing guitar, now has had to switch to the piano. Um, so uh, yeah, please uh, forgive us if we're not quite as prepared um, as we could have been. But Jesus is here. <laughs> and that's the important thing. I'm going to, uh, just through the, through the worship, I'm going to read through some verses from Colossians about the supremacy of the Son of God. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacies. supremacy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we recognize that we, we are here to worship. We are here to learn. We are here to pray. We're here to, to listen. We're here to honor you, Jesus. We thank you that all things were created uh, through you, things in heaven and on earth. We thank you that you are before all things. We thank you that you, uh, in you all things hold together. We thank you that you, Jesus, are the head of the body, the church. We thank you that you are the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. We thank you that you have the supremacy in all things. And it is you we have come to worship. Amen. The service is split up a little bit. I'm doing the sermon in two parts um, and some of the songs will run together. So the first three songs are going to run together um, and if halfway through you feel you need to sit down then please feel free or if you want to lie down that's fine or whatever you want to do. You can dance. It's underfloor heating I think so that would be okay. Um, but let's, let's honour God. And we ha this isn't just a religious kind of ritual that we go through. We have come here to encounter, encounter Jesus through the Holy Spirit. So let's be aware of that. Thank you, David. Sing this song of gladness, give my praise to the fountain of delights. For in my helplessness, you heard my cry, and waves of mercy poured down on my life. I will 
trust in the cross of my Redeemer. I will sing of the blood that never fails, of sins forgiven and conscience cleansed, of death defeated and life without end. Beautiful Savior, wonderful Counselor, clothed in majesty, Lord of history, you're the way, the truth, the light, star of the morning, glorious in holiness, you're the risen one, heaven's champion, and you reign, you reign over all. Lord of history, you're the way, the truth, the light, star of the morning, glorious in Sing, how great is our God. 
our God. Sing with me how great is our God. And I will see how great, how great is our God. How great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. And I will see how great, how great is our God. Praise Him, you angels and heavenly hosts. Let the whole earth praise Him. Praise Him, the sun, moon, and bright shining stars. Praise Him, you heavens and waters and skies. Let the whole earth praise Him.
Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. And here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learnt that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. So, today we're looking at another encounter that Jesus has and another one of John's seven signs. Let's remember that John's gospel is different uh, to the others in that he has chosen carefully out of all the things he could have put in. And in uh, John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, it says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. It's so important to John. So let's consider uh, what he wants to perhaps highlight in this encounter of Jesus with the, the paralyzed man and the subsequent miracle. The background is that Jesus, as we read, has come up to Jerusalem for another one of the feasts, um, probably, possibly the Passover, we're not sure. And uh, he would have entered through the Sheep Gate, which is in the northeast of the city, where the sacrificial lambs would have been brought through, as, as near the temple. Very interesting here that we have the Lamb of God, the Lion and the Lamb we sang about, didn't we? The Lamb of God entering through the Sheep Gate. And just near the gate was the pool of Bethesda, which means the house of mercy. Very interesting, those, those, uh, those small details which sometimes we miss. Can we have the photo up, please? Thank you. This is just a photo of uh, this, uh, the, the pool of, of Bethesda, um, and uh, as it is now. Uh, I've, be, I've been there, and some of us have been there, uh, who, who came on the Israel trip with me. Um, and this is where it, it would have been. It was uh, actually twin pools, apparently, and it was surrounded by five colonnades, four on each side and one uh, down the middle, between the pools. Okay, thank you, Alex, you can take it down. Let's just imagine the scene for a moment. Here we have a great many sick people, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, lying there. It, it probably wasn't a pretty sight. Would have smelt, I expect. Nowhere to go to the toilet. 
people would have been in distress, perhaps, and in a lot of pain and suffering. And the man, the man that we're, we're, uh, Jesus encountered here, was probably brought often by, by his friends. And what is key is that Jesus arrives for this one man. It's interesting that he didn't just heal the lot, although on other occasions he did heal all who came to him, but we're told that he is just homing in on this one man. Let's remember that he's doing exactly what his father has uh, called him to do. If you remember when we looked at changing the water into wine, um, it was a, a, a transition period. No longer was he uh, under going to be under the domestic authority of his mother um, when he was on his, uh, now his, his mission, mission to the cross, um, but he would only do what he saw and heard his father doing. So on this case, it was this, this one man. In verse 19 of the chapter, later on it says, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the son does... Uh, Whatever the father does, the son also does. And just here as well in this, in this account, it does remind me that not everybody is healed. It was just this one man on this occasion. Who knows later on whether they came to Jesus and were, but, but, but it was just this one man. And I have been privileged, as I've shared with you before, to see many amazing instant miracles. The, the eyes of the blind have seen, the lame have walked, tumors have shrunk. I have seen those things, have prayed for people and seen those things. But uh, I have, there have been more uh, people that haven't been healed than, than have been healed. They're miracles by their, the very name, the very nature of it is, is, is a miracle. And um, not everyone, as we know and in our experience, is healed. We have to leave that with God. But more important than the physical healing of the body, as we shall see in the next part of the sermon, is the healing of the heart, the spiritual healing. And that is open to anyone and everyone who believes. So what do we learn about Jesus from this encounter? Firstly, Jesus knew about this man. He knew his physical condition and, he, and his, the condition of his heart. Jesus knows. He knows. And on other occasions, he knew things. He knew things about the woman at the well and, and Nathaniel. Jesus knew about him. And it seems that this was the, one of the most hopeless of cases. This man had been paralyzed or lame or whatever for 38 years. Jesus knew this. In the NIV, it says uh, Jesus learnt, that we read learnt this, but other uh, translations says he knew. Jesus knew. And it reminded me that uh, Jesus wasn't and isn't unaware of any of our situations. He knows us. Remember from the Old Testament, Psalm 139, David said, you've searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I lie down. Um, where can I go from your spirit? If I go to the highest heavens, you're there. If I go to the depths, you're there. And Jesus, Jesus knew. He knows. And he knows what we're going through right at this moment, whatever situation it is, 
He knows. He can home in on each individual person. And he knows. Now, that can be very comforting to know that he knows about our situation. Or not, depending on where you're at with Jesus or what you're up to, I guess. Um, But it was just another reminder. We can't pull the wool over God's eyes. We can't hide from him. That man, that individual, was important to Jesus. And secondly, we see him um, with his, in his grace and in his mercy and we see his compassion. He, felt, he would have felt compassion in other places. We read that he had compassion on people, but Jesus didn't just kind of do it. He, he felt for people. Um, and even though this man didn't necessarily deserve it and it was a hopeless situation, and even though it doesn't seem this man had faith, He wasn't, Jesus in this case, although he did on many other cases, he wasn't responding to faith in this healing. He just did it. He healed him anyway. I think I told you before about a particular person who I prayed for, who I thought, "Mm, there's no way God's going to heal this person because he was, he wasn't, uh, yeah, he wasn't uh, walking with God and he, uh, and just proved me wrong because God did. And, uh, It it didn't deserve, we don't deserve anything. Uh, But in this case, in his mercy and in his grace, he healed him. And here we see, to his power. Nothing is impossible with God. Even the most hopeless of situations can can be healed, transformed, redeemed. Two years or 38 years, it it didn't make any difference. Um, He healed him instantly. And in this case, Jesus' power was shown in in this instant physical healing, but there is power in the name of Jesus. And whether we are caught up in a hopeless spiral of addiction or overwhelmed with grief or got a mountain of debt and we're just so low, we, we can't forgive ourselves or whatever, let's remind ourselves by this that Jesus knows He has compassion, his mercy and grace is there, and he has the power to do something about it and lift us out of our situations. And then we see his authority, authority over sickness. In other places we've seen authority over the wind and the waves and and the miracle of the water into wine. We see his authority here, instant healing. Get up, take your bed and walk. Authority over sickness. Why did Jesus ask him if he wanted to be made well? Surely that was a given. He'd been an invalid for 38 years. But it's interesting that as we saw, the man doesn't say, yes, I desperately want to be healed. Can you please help me or something? He just kind of something lamely says, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And there are Various ways we can interpret this. John doesn't elaborate, but some feel it is a bit of a lame excuse. Couldn't he have asked someone to push him in the water, explaining he'd been there a long time, and surely it was his turn? Was this man lacking initiative, some think? Others think that maybe he got attention by being an invalid and a profitable income. It was an easy income for for those, and maybe he'd lose all that if he was healed. Did he, we don't know. 
did he actually want to be made well? Or had he just given up after all this time? And is understandably discouraged and, and low. And who wouldn't be? Who wouldn't be, I think, after all that? You know? And he was placing, pinning all his hopes in the one place in this stirring of the water. And what was so what was this pool stirring business anyway? What, what was all that about? If you read the passage, you'll notice that verse 4 isn't in John chapter 5 goes from three to five. Where is it? Where is it, I thought? Well, the newer translations have found that it, it wasn't in all the older and more reliable manuscripts, and so they have thought that it, maybe it shouldn't be in there, and they've put it in the footnotes instead. And if you look in the footnotes, it says, from verse four, which isn't in the main bit, from time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease he had. So no one's quite sure about this. Was this just superstition? Um, or did the waters contain special uh, minerals? Or was it a means that God was using? It just doesn't, it seems a bit odd really. But whatever it was, this man was placing his trust in this stirring of the water business but here before him stood the true healer who just spoke and there was no water that needed, was needed to be involved at all. So Jesus said, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. Did he feel strength surge through him? Or did strength arise as he stepped out in obedience? We don't, we don't know. We don't know. But what a miracle. What a miracle. Surely anyone who saw that would be just utterly amazed. So was the man overflowing with thankfulness, gratitude and joy? Hmm. Doesn't say anything about that there. John, he hasn't said anything about that. I'm not sure about this man, really. We'll look at him a bit later. But it's just not written about that. And what we do see is Jesus has slipped quietly away. It wasn't the time for a mass healing of everybody. But he hasn't finished with the man yet, as we shall see in a moment. So here we see Jesus reaching out into the most hopeless of situations, caring for an individual, knowing about him and his, and his grace and mercy and compassion. And with power and authority, he healed him. The Lamb of God coming through the sheep gate to the place of mercy, Bethesda. He did it. Grace is the undeserved mercy of God, I think this shows us. So let's finish this section with prayer and thank God for his grace and mercy and mostly for all, for all, for all of those, us who know Jesus, for our salvation. Into this man's hopeless situation, Jesus reached out. And while we were yet sinners, powerless and hopeless to do anything about our situation, Christ died for us. And then let's just pray for the thousands in Horsham, at least, who find themselves in helpless and hopeless situations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it shows us and teaches us. We thank you that there's so much in it and you can speak 
individually to each person in this room today in a different way because you know about us and, and by your Holy Spirit you can touch our hearts and we thank you for that. Thank you for dying for us when we, we couldn't do anything about our situation and you ask us to respond to that grace. And then we pray, Lord, for all of those in Horsham, as we're in Horsham, for those who find themselves in helpless situations, for those on the streets, in the cold, for those who will struggle with energy bills and increasingly so, and I just feel in such a state, for, for those who are ill and sick and don't find any way out, we pray, Lord, that, yeah, that they will know, that you know, and that you can meet with them at their lowest point. And may those of us who call ourselves disciples of Jesus partner with you. May we go in his name, with his compassion, showing his grace and his mercy, displaying his power and with the authority that he has given to us. And just in conclusion, uh, for the prayer, I'd like to pray for the service of, of Claire uh, Fisher this week. Um, Lord, I thank you for her. I thank you for the inspiration that she was. I thank you for the grace and the mercy that I saw, not that I knew her very well, but in, in her life. I thank you that she was uh, a disciple and that she had compassion and she did show your mercy. And Lord, I, I, we are so grateful for her life and we pray for the family, uh, especially this week, as they rejoice that she knew you and where she, where, where she is now but also in their grief and in their loss. Amen. So let's uh, sing in response to that again. Lost, you came and rescued me. Reached out into the pit and lifted me. Oh Lord, such love. I was as far from you as I could be. You know all the things I've ever done. But Jesus' blood has cancelled everyone. Oh Lord, such grace to qualify me as your own. There is a new song in my mouth. There is a deep cry in my heart. A hymn of praise to Almighty God. Hallelujah. On this rock my life is hidden now with Christ in God, the old has gone, and the new has come, hallelujah, your love has lifted me, now I'm coming to your family, for the Son of God has died for me, oh Lord, such peace, I am loved by you as I could be. With the full assurance of your love, now with every confidence we come. Oh Lord, 
So the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, well, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? And the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. And Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. So, the second part of that verse paves the way for what's coming up which said the day on which this took place was the Sabbath of all the days to heal this man who'd probably been lying there every day. Jesus goes and heals him on the Sabbath. This was bound to invite confrontation with the Jewish leaders. Sure enough, their hackles rose. It's the Sabbath, they said to the man. The law forbids you to carry your mat. They were referring to the the law of Moses, which forbade work on the Sabbath, but they'd made all sorts of extra rules and laws and regulations, which went way beyond the original meaning. And this can be seen in in, in modern times. I was reading, uh, somebody uh, quoted this, uh, something in the news. It says, in April 1992, tenants let three apartments in an orthodox neighbourhood in Israel burned to the ground while they asked a rabbi whether a phone call to the fire department on the Sabbath would violate Jewish law or not. Observant Jews, the article says, are forbidden to use the phone on the Sabbath, which is considered a form of work. And in the half an hour it took the rabbis to decide yes, the fire had spread to two neighbouring apartments. We think, what? Even today, it can be very orthodox. In front of these people, though, stood a man who had experienced a healing miracle. And these Jewish leaders were so obsessed with their rules that they couldn't be delighted in the healing. They missed the miracle. They missed what God had done. They weren't in awe of his mercy and grace and compassion of Jesus and the power and the authority that healed this man. They certainly didn't go on to recognize that authority either. They missed God in action. Could you put the photo, please? I don't know if you can see it very well. I've had this for years and years and years and years. It's by a lady called Beth Schweigard. And um, she did it, and I believe at the time, it was at the very beginning Um, when she could hardly paint at all and she had this vision of Jesus. And I love this because it 
it shows um, at the, the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall, uh, the Orthodox Jews and the Jews praying there desperately, holding the Torah, and, and, and desperately waiting for the Messiah to come, waiting for Jesus. Uh, if, uh, well, not Jesus, but waiting for the Messiah. And, and Jesus kind of comes out of the wall, as it were. Uh, he's, already, he's already come here. As it, and, and he's got his... And he, it's not so judgmental. He's got his hand on the, one of the shoulders. And I don't know if you can see on the face, he's got tears running down the face. And it's such a poignant picture. It's, it's so powerful. Uh, they missed him then. They missed his coming, as, as, we, as we know. Um, you, you can take it down now, please. But we can learn from this too, because, I mean, we can laugh at the, the, the strangeness of the, of the Jewish leaders' customs, but we too sometimes are so entrenched in our understanding of what God can, can't, should, or shouldn't do. We're in danger of missing what he is doing and what he wants to do. God, though, works outside the boxes that we put him in. I know, and I've, I could give you many examples of times when I've got it all organized and God can only do this, that, and the other, and he just blows it out of the water because he's the mighty creator. God, he can do anything he wants to do at any time, and he's not uh, uh, restrained to what I think he can do or can't do. If we have the eyes to see, some of, and when, as you get older, as we know, sometimes it's really hard to change or to think differently. And, and that's just the Holy Spirit, uh, if we ask him to open our eyes and our vision to see what God is doing in this day and age. The man who made me well said, pick up your mat and walk. Well, who was he, they asked him. But he didn't know because Jesus had slipped through the crowd. The man didn't know Jesus, but Jesus knew the man through and through and he hadn't finished with him he may have healed his withered legs but his withered heart was much more important he may have been healed physically but had he been healed spiritually which was far more important and Jesus finds him at the temple where as a paralyzed man he wouldn't have been able to go did Jesus find him thankful? Maybe, because he was at the temple. We don't know. Did he find him repenting of his thing, sins? Did he, this man, do we have evidence that he became a faithful follower of Jesus? Hmm, don't know. We don't read that he was singing, when I was lost, you came and rescued me. You put a new song in my heart, a hymn of praise to Almighty God. Hallelujah. We don't see any kind of evidence of that kind of response. And Jesus looked straight into this man's heart and he knew the condition of it. That's why he found him. He didn't just leave it at the physical healing uh, then and there. He came and found him and he said, see, you're all well again. Stop sinning or something worse might happen to you. Hmm, sounds a bit ominous, doesn't it? What, what did Jesus mean? What could be worse than being an invalid for 38 years? Surely, though... Jesus is referring to his, the state of his eternal life. Paralyzed uh, in his body, but also paralyzed in his sin and going to spend eternity without Jesus would be far worse than all that he had to put up with in his physical body. More important than health was righteousness before God. 
and facing the final judgment, which we can't get away from because it's in God's word, and separation from God forever. More important than the healing of the body was the healing of the soul, and Jesus knew this, and he warned this man. We don't know whether the man was specifically sinning uh, in some way or another, um, or just that he was separated from God. And John doesn't say any more about this man, except he then went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Why does he go out of his way to do that? Well, maybe he just was so thankful that he he wanted to tell them. Again, we don't know. But also the penalty for breaking the Sabbath laws was severe, and maybe he just wanted to make sure that he wasn't going to get whatever the punishment was. But as a result of this, the chapter goes on to say the Jews persecuted Jesus. And he said, but my father is always at work to this day, and I too am working. God doesn't stop his deeds of compassion on the Sabbath, and neither did Jesus. But the Jews weren't won over by his explanation, far from it. And we read, for this reason the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father and making himself equal to to God. It goes on. So this man had been a recipient of the amazing grace and the mercy that had been poured out on him when he was completely helpless, in the pit of despair, with no way out, not even having faith, it seems, undeservedly, a totally free from gift from God. But he couldn't just keep it like that. He had to respond and to this grace and live in the power of this grace and this mercy. We don't know that he did. In other places in the New Testament, we see people responding and following Jesus and being all delighted and everything. We don't know. We don't know any more about this man. But, but how about us, in conclusion? We might be thinking, what an ungrateful man he was. But how about us? For those of us who've experienced the, the wonder of salvation and that miracle, have we... Did we receive it with joy initially? Has it become a bit jaded? Have we become a bit jaded? Have we lost the wonder? How grateful are we? And does that gratefulness and thankfulness result in serving and worshipping and helping and reaching out in that same compassion and grace and mercy? And then, secondly, John in his gospel so wanted people to believe in Jesus. Do we? Do we? Or have we made our commitment we know we're going to be with Jesus forever and we're keeping it to ourselves but faith is personal of course but it's never private otherwise we wouldn't be here if somebody hadn't told us about Jesus Jesus came to seek and to save the lost that was his purpose that was his mission when we were lost he reached down and rescued us and our gratitude to this grace has to be in sharing and testifying to it. In in Acts it says, when the Holy Spirit um, comes upon you, you will be my witnesses, Jesus said, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be. You won't be. Peter and John said, "We, we can't stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. We can't stop. Some of us, and at times, all of us, Uh, 
I find it difficult to even start sharing about what we've seen and heard. I hope this man did. He told the Jews anyway. But I hope he did. But for us, let's allow God to work through us so that we, we share of what we know. We don't all have to be able to preach or but just share the love of Jesus to a world that is trapped and enslaved and paralyzed in sin in so many cases. So before we uh, sing our final couple of songs, uh, let's stand and pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truths in it. We thank you for what it tells us uh, about Jesus. Uh, we thank you. He's our role model. Um, and we are to go in his name if we are disciples and, and do what he, he did. Um, in our own strength, we can do nothing. We can't share. We can't, we can't do anything but filled with your spirit. We won't be able to stop speaking about what we've seen and heard and know of this wonderful Jesus, this Saviour, the one who reached down and rescued us. So I pray even now for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit upon each and every one of us. Fill us with your Spirit where we're jaded. Restore to us the wonder and the joy of what it is to know you. Lord God, we pray for a fresh move of your spirit in this church, in in our lives, in my life, um, and across the town and the nation. Lord, may we be dedicated, wholehearted, committed followers of the one who, when we were lost, reached down and set us free. Amen. Uh, You can remain standing, actually. Um, as we sing the final couple of songs, just another verse from um, uh, Colossians. For, Jesus, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behaviour. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. It is to be uh, appreciated and it is to be shared. Let's continue in worship before we close. Thank you. 
Amen.